we think that we're not allowed, uh, if we have a lot of things to do, we're not allowed to take a break because we're wasting time or we're not as hardworking as someone who uses every minute of their time. But what I found is by prescribing myself the things that I prescribe to my patients, which is stress release, nature time, movement, mindfulness, I actually scheduled that into my day and I noticed that I was feeling it was like a cushion throughout my day. And I felt like that kind of gave me time to catch up mentally and emotionally. And, you know, single tasking is so soothing for our brain. So all day we're multitasking, right? I'm talking to you and, yeah, you know, we're single tasking right now. But most of the time we're multitasking. We're on our phones. We're doing two things. And what I found is when I switch to single tasking, either having a conversation with someone one-on-one, just walking, or just reading, just one thing, it's very soothing and calming to your brain. It's something that we forget because we think that we're not going to be productive enough, but it is so useful in that stress relief. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today's guest is Dr. Amy Shaw. Dr. Shah has a unique training of both nutrition and medical training. She graduated from the renowned School of Nutrition at Cornell and then went on to Einstein for medical school. Her research, internal medicine, and allergy slash immunology training took her to Harvard, then Columbia Hospitals. There, she discovered her unique skills as a mind-body practitioner, and she also serves as an instructor for the Mind-Body Green Nutrition Training Program. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Dr. Amy Shah to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Amy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Dad. I've been so looking forward to this conversation for a while now. I mean, I'm a big fan of your work. We have many mutual friends. And you wrote this book on, like, why are we so tired as a society? Like, why are we having these chronically low energy levels? And I guess for myself, I think it's a good place to start because I'm like one of these people at times where I find myself potentially not sleeping good. And then I wake up in the morning and I'm drinking coffee to get me through the morning. And then I'll go to work. I'll do what I need to do for the podcast. And then during my break, I'll find myself drinking more coffee and it could become this toxic cycle on some days where now it's impacting my sleep. Now it's impacting stress levels. So with that said, like in your opinion, because I mean, I'm sure there's so many people that are experiencing the same kind of pattern I'm doing. Like, what's at the root of all this? Like, why are we so chronically fatigued and tired on a regular basis? That's a great question. The caffeine thing is something that I discovered really late into my medical career that caffeine is not free energy. And I think in society, we think of it as like, you need energy, you drink it, right? Like, that's not how it works. It's actually just an adenosine blocker in our brain. And when it wears off, all of everything that was there is still there. It's not like you're changing your energy levels. You're even stealing kind of from your sleep and energy bank. 
And so you're basically borrowing energy from the bank that's already low. So caffeine, as you know, and I know, can be a short-term answer, but it's definitely not a long-term energy fix. In fact, it's not even a good short-term energy fix. If you really think about it, you're not functioning at a high level when you're tired, but caffeinated, you're just functioning. You know, like you're moving, you're going through emotions. So, and you rely a lot about in your, on your unconscious neural pathways because they're easy for your brain. And so if you're someone like you and me, who's trying to change habits and get more energy naturally, relying on those old pathways, neural pathways, is not necessarily the best thing. So we're tired because we are ignoring this connection in our body that determines our energy. It's this gut immune hormone brain connection. I like to call it the gut brain connection, but it's literally the thing that creates your mood, creates your energy, your hormonal function, um, your immune function. So that's why a lot of times when you feel tired, you're also feeling bloated or constipated or have stomach pain. You're also feeling like you get sick more often because it's interconnected and your mood is definitely lower when you're tired, right? So cravings, mood, bloating, GI symptoms, and hormonal symptoms kind of converge. Yeah, you're, you're spot on. And I think we really need to start addressing this issue from the root and not just putting a Band-Aid on it because like you kind of alluded to, when you are tired and then you ingest caffeine, it's not like it's giving you this incredible energy. It's depleting you in a way even more like on the back end. And we got to figure out like what's making you tired. Like for me, I know for a fact it's my sleep. Like my sleep is off and when my sleep's off, I just feel more lethargic and I feel I have less energy and more anxious and more stress, like all the things. But for a lot of people, there's this mind gut connection that they aren't aware of as far as how much it actually affects them. Because I think now we know that a lot of serotonin is produced in the gut, a good bit of our immune systems in the gut, dopamine, some dopamine is produced in the gut. But I think people lack the self-awareness at times to know, like, how do I know that my gut health is off? So if there were a few key symptoms or signs that you've seen with the people that you've worked with, like, what are they that their gut health is out of alignment? The number one thing that people say is that they're tired because, you know, that gut-brain connection, when your brain is sensing something is off in the gut, it, the gut bacteria actually sends signals straight to the brain to slow down because, you know, when you're sick, if you've ever seen, you know, you have animals, right? You've seen when they get sick, they kind of sleep a lot and they're just kind of burping around. And that's what our immune system and our gut bacteria send to the brain. Like, hey, there's a lot of stuff going on, inflammation, there's things that we're trying to fix. And so slow down, don't do anything crazy, maybe be more tired, and it sends those signals to your brain. Our gut will sense what's going on. So that when we say we're inflamed, that's our gut sensing, hey, there's something bad going on here, just you know, slow down. And so our brain will say, oh, there's something bad going on in the gut, let me not you know, be super energetic and do all these other things because I need to fix this problem. And so evolutionarily, you're really telling your brain not to do complex tasks, not to focus, not to do the things it needs to do. So it needs to fix the problem in the gut. 
So if that makes sense, and that's why the gut-brain connection goes both ways, then what you're thinking, say you're consuming negative social media, you're spending your time scrolling, whatever it is, you're sending signals to the gut that actually changes the gut microbiome. So it's both ways that you're affecting your mood and energy. And our default, unfortunately, Doug, like the way we are living today is that we're sending bad signals from our, uh, from our brain to our gut and we're sending bad signals from our gut to our brain. And so it's no wonder we feel tired, we feel anxious, we feel sad, and we're not able to focus on the work that we want to do. And we feel like bloated and, you know, just physically gross. Right. And we feel mentally and emotionally bloated, I think, at times, too, because of it. So people are super busy. They're overwhelmed as it is. They're seeing all kinds of information on the Internet with regards to how to overhaul their health and wellness. And based on what you've said and what we know, like the gut brain connection is super important that it's like almost interchangeable and in how they impact each other. But where does one start? Like in your opinion, if somebody close to you was coming to you and saying, hey, like I'm experiencing all this fatigue. I think you're right. I think my gut must be off. Do you start with them like trying to manage your stress better and do some mindset stuff? Or do you really like help them with their nutrition to get that side of things squared away first? That's a great question. So I've been working recently. I started working with more wellness patients on gut brain connection stuff. And what I've noticed is the first thing that can change because the nutrition part takes a few days to change. Your gut can change rapidly in three days, okay? So one of the best things you can do is improve your sleep. And first thing in the morning, go outside and get some nature time. And then in the evening, really black out and preserve your nighttime. So improving your circadian rhythms, a 24-hour day night cycle, is the first thing that I think is so easy and intuitive that we don't do it and can make the biggest change. So what I found in people that I work with is, okay, maybe we figure out how to get sunlight and direct light in the morning, because that improves your sleep, that improves your focus, your energy. Circadian rhythms run 80% of our genes. So our genes are dependent on that input. Doesn't need to be sunny outside, it can be cloudy, but you need direct light. The, the windows block out over 40% of that. So you really want it to be like direct. Doesn't need to be long, a few minutes. Maybe you make it into a 20 minute nature walk because 120 minutes of nature a week is what's recommended to improve this gut brain connection. And then um, in the evening, you block off a little bit of time to create a nighttime routine. So it's like, you know, shut off the electronics an hour before bed, turn down the blue lights three hours, stop eating three hours before bed and really kind of clean up that nighttime routine, which is so, so like ingrained in our society to like watch late night TV, surf on the internet or the phone and have snacks, right? So to change that and then change the morning routine is an immediate fix to a lot of people will say, wow, I feel better on day one, you know, just doing that. Right. It's definitely a great first step in being able to bookend your days in a healthy way. Like you said, getting out, getting some good natural light, and then at night, kind of shutting it down and making sure that you're sleeping in an area that's kind of you know blacked out and you're not getting as much light. You're not scrolling on your phone or watching TV until you go to bed and that sort of thing. So let's say that somebody does that and let's say, okay, like, 
I want to see from a from a nutrition standpoint, like what are some of the best things I can do for my gut? Now, I know I've I've had people come on and say that the best thing you can do is is diversity is king. Diver- plant diversity is king for the gut. Like, do you believe that that's true as well, or do you take a different approach? I do believe in plant diversity, but uh, there's a new study that actually looked at what is it about lots of plants that makes the biggest difference? Is it that it's a lot of plants and a lot of fiber, or is it that it's a lot of plants and a lot of colored vegetables, or is it like, what is it about eating more vegetables that actually help? What they found is there was a difference between the people who were eating high fiber diets and people who are eating high fiber diets with fermented foods. The fermented food group had markedly better microbiomes than the group that was eating lots of fiber, which is 80% better than the general population, but even better than just eating fiber was eating fermented fiber. So for people who don't know, like it's not as complicated thing like oh, um, I have to buy these probiotics. It's something like raw apple cider vinegar is fermented. Kombucha is fermented. You can buy kefir, uh, probiotic cottage cheese or yogurt. It's fermented kimchi. Things like one kombucha is two servings of fermented food, um, two spoons of apple cider vinegar, and you've gotten four, you know? So it's not really hard to get four to six servings, which was the level of fermented foods that was found to be most beneficial for the gut microbiome. Right. Yeah, I think I've heard that too, that getting around like six servings, I think of fermented foods a day is incredibly important for the health of the gut microbiome. I want to go back one step because I think what you said obviously is very helpful and useful for people, but let's just say somebody's listening to this and they're just struggling just to get enough fiber in their diet as is like if you from a baseline level like before they get to the fermented foods like what are some steps they can take to maybe optimize their microbiome by eating more fruits and vegetables i was just reading a huge study yesterday from nature and it was looking at about 3500 people so 3500 people they just looked at how they ate how they lived and on the predictors of their gut right so what was it that predicted their gut and not surprisingly, you know, if you had better insulin levels and blood sugar control and cholesterol, your gut health was better. But they also found that people who ate a salad a day actually had improved gut health. And so simple things like having a salad a day could be a great first step. Like I'm thinking about my kids right now. And one of the things I've been, I decided in this last year is like, I'm going to transition them from a kid, healthy American kid diet to an actual healthy gut brain diet. And one of the things I've added is one salad a day in their in their diet. Because it's when you're going from a very traditional American Western diet, it's gonna be hard to go to four to six servings of fermented food. Yeah. But could you do a salad a day? Yeah, most people could do that. I agree. And I think that is a good, like, easy step for people. And I've heard people talk about this before, too, and that you can go to a salad bar and just get a variety of fruits and vegetables in a salad, or you can buy a variety of stuff at the grocery store. I think about with kids, like, that's something that parents often struggle with is, like, they'll put the salad in front of their kids and the kids won't eat it, or they'll put the the plate of broccoli in front of the kids and the kids won't eat it. Like, what have been some of your most useful tools that you've implemented 
to help your kids become more adherent to eating things like salads on a regular basis? Okay, two things that are very scientific. One is bribery, and two is like covering it with something they love. So very scientific way he said, I create this for my kids, my own kids, is that I tell them like, hey, if you want to get that treat, that boba, I don't know if you know bubble tea, or they're like obsessed with this bubble tea thing. It's like these tapioca pearls and milk tea and um, or dessert. And I'll say, if you want to get that later today, then you're going to have to eat your salad before we go or cover it in something that they love. Like they like Caesar salad because why? It's like a creamy dressing with crouton, you know, whatever. Um, and I'm okay with that because that doesn't need to be a, a salad with no dressing or something, you know. And so I make it really easy. And, you know, biggest thing I think parents can do and spout. Okay, so I get this all the time. I'm an individual and my girlfriend, boyfriend, spouse, friend doesn't eat healthy. What do I do? You know, and I say you cannot coerce anybody to do anything because they'll kids, spouses, friends, significant others, they will probably revolt if you're pressing too hard. The thing you can do is just model good behavior. And when and if they want to convert, when the time is right for them, they will look to you as a role model. But until then, we can just role model. With everything getting more and more expensive, I am constantly looking for new ways to cut costs and find savings and also help my personal training clients do the same. That's why when it comes to buying my organic groceries and household goods, I am all about Thrive Market. With Thrive Market, you can shop everything from healthy pantry essentials to sustainable meat and seafood to frozen fruits and vegetables and non-toxic beauty products, and they are all delivered right to your door. Thrive Market carefully vets every product they carry, so you can trust that if it's there, it's the best. Finding savings on items that matter most to you is easy with Thrive Market. You can find what you need because they have over 5,000 food, home, and beauty products. So if you are looking for plant-based, keto, or gluten-free, Thrive Market has you covered. Some of the things that I've really been enjoying from them lately are their chicken breasts, their fish, and their frozen veggies. Plus, when you shop with Thrive Market, you can save time and gas by not having to make that trip to the store because you can buy everything you need online. And best of all, if you happen to find a lower price elsewhere, Thrive Market will match it. So join Thrive Market today to get 40% off your first order and a free gift worth over $50. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash Doug Fitness to get 40% off your first order and a free gift worth over $50. That's thrivemarket.com slash Doug Fitness. Again, it's thrivemarket.com slash Doug Fitness. We will get you back to this episode of the Adversity Advantage in just one second, but first wanted to give a quick shout out to Danette May and Earth Echo Foods. Danette was a past guest on the podcast and shared her incredible story and how it inspired her to create her products such as Cacao Bliss, which I have been using for quite some time now. Lately, I have been trying to use it as an alternative to coffee as I am trying to cut back. I can say I think it might be working. Using it can be as simple as adding it to a smoothie or mixing it with water or your favorite nut milk. Cacao Bliss starts with 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally kissed by the sun, maintaining its miraculous health benefits. Then it's blended with turmeric, MCT oil, coconut, Himalayan sea salt, cinnamon, and black pepper for the perfect blend to make you feel the best you ever have. Not only that, it is friendly to keto, gluten-free, paleo, vegan, and vegetarian diets. 
So go to earthechofoods.com slash Doug Bobst. Again, it's earthechofoods.com slash Doug Bobst to check it out and learn more about the amazing benefits of Cacao Bliss. And when you enter in the promo code Doug at checkout, you'll get 15% off. Now back to the show. Right. Yeah, I've heard that modeling, like like you said, is is super important for people and that it's going to create this like disconnect. I think if kids, you're telling your kids to eat something and then you're not eating it, they're going to be, wait, I thought it was good for me, like, but you're not eating it, right? And it'll create some level of confusion. I want to get into some of your best practices personally for managing your stress, managing anxiety and stuff like that, because like you can do all these things. You can sleep well, you can go out and get sunlight, you can, you know, make sure you have a nighttime routine, you can eat well, but if you can't manage your stress and anxiety, like you said, like it's all going to come back and affect the gut and you're going to be essentially be playing catch up. So what are some of your, the best things you do on a daily basis to help you when you get stressed or when you get anxious so that it doesn't become something that's chronic where it impacts your health? Yeah. I mean, stress is a pandemic, right? And stress, anxiety, and depression. So many people I talk to have this problem and it's because we live in a world that the default is poor coping skills and we're not really given any tools. So we end up feeling really overwhelmed. So I'll tell you a quick story. You know, I was an immigrant. I'm a South Asian immigrant to the country, right? My parents came here. They worked really hard. We lived in this like one bedroom or one room motel that was converted to housing. I mean, they really struggled. I remember it. And I worked so hard. I got into nutrition school and then all these schooling, med school, residency, Harvard, Columbia, all this stuff. Got this job. You know, anyone in my field would be like, oh, that's the pinnacle. You know, she got that job. She's a partner in her practice. But I felt awful. Like I felt overwhelmed. I felt anxious. I felt stressed. I felt like my, you know, success on the outside is really different than success on the inside. And I, it took me to that point to understand that because at that point I was, I was so stressed every day that I wasn't even in the mode of the present. Like you're always, have you ever been in the situation where you're always thinking about what you need to do next or what you forgot to do or, you know, the thing that um, someone is asking you to do and it's like you can't even concentrate on what's happening in the moment? And that was me all the time. And then I would not be able to fall asleep because I'd be so anxious about the whole day and what I had to get done. And so I knew that I needed an overhaul. So even now, now that I've changed my gut, my diet, my career, my lifestyle, my outlook, I still kind of think back at that time and I was like, wow, that time I've changed so much from there, but I still have moments where I'm stressed and I'm anxious. And I go back to the things that worked in the first place, which was major time, cleaning up my diet, getting adequate sleep and mindfulness. So back in the day, in ancient, every ancient culture you look at, there was prayer, there was singing, there was social time with your neighbors, you know, things, basically when the sun went down, you couldn't be in your home or you could, but you'd be chatting with someone or you would be um, doing something like prayer or meditation or singing, singing. This was all built into our cultures and slowly, little by little, to increase efficiency. And now that we're a 24-7 culture, we've taken those away. So I think back to what are the things that actually de-stressed me in that, you know, culturally and as I grew up, what were the things that I did to de-stress? And it always comes down to nature. And nature has been shown 
to be scientifically a way to reduce your stress and it increases your microbiome because it's there's bacteria outside. It colonizes in your gut, uh, in your skin, in your body. And um, sleep, I think you mentioned it, but sleep is a huge way to de-stress and help your body repair and renew. So I always go back to that circadian rhythm management. The first step that I mentioned for a lot of people is a step that I go back to when things are getting out of control. I want to go into the, the nature part because we, you hear a lot that that nature is so good for the soul that it's a, it's good when you just need to decompress and just press pause. Like, what is it about nature? Is it the sunlight? Is it because you're not really on your phone? Hopefully when you're out hiking, is it because you're moving your body? Like, what is it specifically about nature that you think is so beneficial? That's a great question, Doug. So they actually looked at, so in Canada, they started to give a prescription of nature two hours a week. And that was a prescription that they would give on a pad to their patients and to, and so they studied this. They said, there's some clinics that are doing this and some clinics that are, and what are the different outcomes? And they found that the people that were being prescribed nature, not only did they feel better, they made better choices of meals. They had a sense of well-being that the other people didn't have. They got more exercise. Then, then not. So there's a lot of complicated things that go into nature. Like, is it because it's improving the microbiome? Is it because it's lowering cortisol? You know, you know the sounds of nature lower cortisol in the brain. So is it that, or is it because they're making healthier choices because they got off their phone for a few minutes? You know what I'm saying? It's a very complicated web. So that study just basically said, hey, not only did the nature time improve their well-being they changed in ways that we never imagined, like they made better choices of food and exercise, which was not prescribed on the pad. It wasn't like go out of nature and exercise or go out of nature and pick healthy foods. It was just go out of nature. So there's some complicated factors that happen in our body and our brain that you know we could use to our advantage. We still don't even understand exactly what's happening. Right, right. Yeah, that all makes sense. And I, I wanna go back again to you were talking about how you've managed your own stress and, and anxiety and what you kind of do to bring yourself down to self-regulate. And I would imagine over the last few years between releasing a book, kids, work, that you've probably found yourself maybe spinning out at certain times where the stress has gotten the, be the best of you and maybe you're feeling a little bit of off. So if you could maybe just share about a time recently where you felt that the stress perhaps was taking control in, in a way that you weren't expecting and then like what was causing it and what did you do specifically to get yourself out of the situation? I think that comes from the societal pressures, right? To do it all, do it all. And I think when I realized that doing it all, when it was defined by me was very, very filling to me, like very rewarding, but doing it all as what society or what other people say is doing it all was very depleting. It always put me in a situation where I felt out of control. And so what I had to recalibrate is what's important to me and what do I want to balance? And what are things that I'm not so passionate about? Like you don't have to be good or interested in everything. You can pick the things that you feel very passionate about and go for it and either get help or let the other things go to the wayside. And so every time recently, for example, 
I've had exponential growth in my mom's business, right? And I'm still a doctor. I'm a mom. I have all these roles. And I was feeling really out of control because of what I was trying to do is fit all these things in. And I recalibrated my all and made it what I wanted. And then I did this very, very crazy thing. He's like, added little bits of kind of cushion in my schedule. And I think what happens is we think that we're not allowed, uh, if we have a lot of things to do, we're not allowed to take a break because we're wasting time or we're not as hardworking as someone who uses every minute of their time. But what I found is by prescribing myself the things that I prescribe to my patients, which is stress release, nature time, movement, mindfulness, I actually scheduled that into my day. And I noticed that I was feeling, it was like a cushion throughout my day. And I felt like that kind of gave me time to catch up mentally and emotionally. And, you know, single tasking is so soothing for our brain. So all day we're multitasking, right? I'm talking to you and, yeah, you know, we're single tasking right now, but most of the time we're multitasking. We're on our phones, we're doing two things. And what I found is when I switch to single tasking, either having a conversation with someone one-on-one, just walking or just reading, just one thing, it's very soothing and calming to your brain. It's something that we forget because we think that we're not going to be productive enough, but it is so useful in that stress relief. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I could definitely relate like that if if I have a break in between things and I end up just like laying down and taking a nap or hanging out with my dog, I'll feel guilty sometimes. I'm like, man, I need to be like building the business or I should be researching for this podcast episode more or I should be doing this, but then I come back to it and I'm like, Doug, like your best ideas and some of your best thoughts have come from moments of pause, moments of reflection, moments where I didn't have anything going on. And I think we tend to forget that in moments when we when we come back to those moments that we've been in before. And, and with that said, I'm really glad that you brought that up. And we've hinted at like immunity and you've kind of talked about this gut brain immune connection. And obviously people are paying attention to their immune system now in in ways they probably haven't before. And you did your residency, I believe, or fellowship, you did your fellowship on immunology. And so with that said, knowing what you know now about that, the mind-gut connection, like what are a few like non-negotiables that people should be doing on a regular basis or even not doing to make sure they're doing whatever they can to keep their immune system strong? I think that undeniably the non-sexy answer is just increasing your sleep slightly. So we know that me and you probably can't get eight hours every single night. You know, some of us, some people listening or watching can't even get six hours a night, right? So it's not about being perfect. It's about increasing it slightly, also maybe 20 minutes more than what you're using. Maybe it's two days a week that you keep as your sleep days and that you schedule so that you get a little more sleep. Sleep, by far, if you have to pick the biggest health intervention for your immune system to improve it, uh, it's not vitamin C, it's not zinc, it's not, you know, all the sexy fun answers. It's sleep, the hard work. So the reason I say sexy and fun is that we are 
always looking for that secret, right? What is the secret thing we could be doing to shortcut the hard work? But over and over and over, it is the basics. Eating well, sleeping, controlling your stress, being active, exercise, build muscle. And, you know, the only vitamins that make any difference significantly, in my opinion, for immune system is vitamin D and omega-3s. And I think those two, if you're deficient or you don't get enough in your diet, if you want to supplement, that would be, you know, something you could do. But all the other things are kind of like, I always equate it like buying new shoelaces for a run, right? You buy the new shoelaces and you're like, these are the highest quality shoelaces you could ever buy in the world. And they're so awesome. But really makes minimal difference, doesn't help to run. And you could have done it just fine without that, right? Your training wouldn't have changed. And that's like how supplements are. Like, do they make a difference? Like most of the time people are taking supplements, they don't even feel any different. They're just taking it blindly. And so they have to understand that like if it's making a difference, it's making 10% of a difference. It's not going to be like what sleep, nature, exercise, gut-brain connection work is going to do for you. I'm so glad that you said that because I think it's it's so important for people to listen to this because I get questions all the time on like, hey, like, what do you think of this? Or what's the easiest way to do that? Or should I take this or that? And like supplements can be a great way to supplement, like add like some value to whatever existing program you're doing that's working and that you're checking all the boxes already. But a lot of people can't even master the fundamentals, like which as you said, stress management, sleep, nutrition, movement. And I think it's it's important for people listening to know that there is no quick fix. There is no easy solution. What works is what Amy just said is that like mastering the things that we know have worked for such a long time, being consistent with that and knowing that it's not going to happen overnight. Like if you were sleeping poorly for 10 years, you can't expect yourself to all of a sudden be like, yeah, I'm just going to sleep better tomorrow. Like you're going to have to get yourself into a new pattern of better habits. And, and with that said, Amy, I know you talk a lot about mindset. I know you talk a lot about like building better habits. So that's a problem that happens with people is that they want to make these changes. They they're confident in some way in their ability to do so, but their brain is just, is just wired for them to fail based on their past patterns. So what are some of your best tips for people to be able to make these changes in a way that's going to be sustainable and can find them being able to create new healthy pathways in their brain? Number one, surround yourself with the bacteria, with the people, with the thoughts, with the activities that you want for yourself. We live in a world where we could actually surround ourselves with people and ideas and thoughts and books and podcasts that support the life that we want to live. And it's a unique time, right? Because before we'd have to move to, you know, a certain part of the world or country to be surrounded by the types of people that you wanted. But that's why LA was a center of entertainment and New York was a center of business and entrepreneurship was in San Francisco. But now if you want to be an entrepreneur, all you have to do is read the books, listen to the podcast, attend the events, Surround yourself with like-minded people. And if you want to improve your gut-brain connection, start to do things, but follow people, hang out with people that are in the same mindset as you. Because what happens is 
not only do you get the gut bacteria from people you spend time with. So if you really wanted to be like a super athlete, hang out with people who are great athletes and by far their gut bacteria will be transferred to you just by you being near them. And that's why I think so you're like a product of the people you spend the most time with because of possibly partially at least from that gut connection that you get from, you know, being with people. So and then on the other hand, spend time, spend time. Does it mean that now you have to move yourself? You can actually spend time with people that you think will better yourself. And so I think it's a very unique time to improve yourself. So if you're filling your feed, your mind, your thoughts with negativity, with comparison, with you know people that you find toxic, that's what's going to end up happening. So it, once you realize you have the power to control that, that's when the change really, really starts to happen. I was so shocked that the way you think can actually change your gut microbiome. Like that to me was like mind blowing. How do you change your gut bacteria just from the way you think? It's, it's fascinating science. So this is, this is more than ever the time to kind of change those old patterns to change those neural patterns that were created from childhood and from trauma from you know we talked about trauma a little bit earlier but offline but trauma creates neural pathways that may not be serving you and so as you start to retrain your brain you can create new pathways remember like neurons that fire together wire together so back then if you were having neurons that were scared of in a trauma load, they created these pathways that now have to be kind of replaced with new pathways. And that's not going to be easy because when you go into the default unconscious pattern, you're always going to fall back on that. Yeah. Inner circle is so important. And I think it's, it's crucial to surround yourself with people that bring the best out on you. They, they challenge you. They love and inspire you like unconditionally. With regards to like passing the gut bacteria, like I guess I want to know like, how is that possible? Because when I think of passing bacteria, I think maybe if you're like kissing somebody, that would make sense. You're exchanging saliva or something. But from a way of just being in a group of people, like what actually transpires like a uh, physiological perspective that allows that to happen? The biggest way to think about this is when I was in immunology, I actually got interested in immunology because of these, this group of studies. So at the turn of the century in London, some of the doctors and researchers, immunologists found that, oh my God, these rich children that are living in London now are sick. Their immune systems feel, look weaker. They're getting allergies and asthma. And these poor children that are still left on the farms their immune system seems to be better. And it created this whole hypothesis called the hygiene hypothesis, which is still the prevailing hypothesis of the immune system, which is that your immune system needs a little bit of bacterial stimulation from animals, from dirt, from farm, you know, the farm lives, from other children, from strangers and uncles. The more people that are in your home, the more siblings you have, the more animals, the more farm life they had the stronger their gut microbiome became. So it wasn't like they necessarily ate from the ground, but you know what I'm saying? Being in that environment was able to populate their gut in a way that strengthened their immune system. And so if you can think about that, now obviously as adults, we're not changing from zero to five is the biggest rapidly changing microbiome. So that's when 
people can really make a huge difference in their child's immune system forever. But even as adults, you can do the same thing. So it's not like the studies proved that being in a household with more members, being with more siblings, being even in a daycare setting or a school setting, being around people or animals and nature was all really good for your gut microbiome. So you can imagine that it's not necessarily swapping saliva, although there's probably some of that happening. And in fact, there was a study, the pacifier study is the best study on that, where um, parents who lick the baby's pacifier have stronger, those babies have stronger microbiomes. The ones that share food with their children have stronger microbiomes. Like we know that if you share food with someone who's really healthy, your microbiome gets healthier. We know that if you transfer bacteria from a young mouse into an old mouse, that old mouse becomes younger. It's like magical. Literally brain changes, eye changes, like their eyesight got better, their brain health got better because they received a gut bacterium transplant from a young mouse. I guess it's a great start, right? I'd love to see that like done in humans and see if it, it transfers to the same effect that it has in mice. And like what you said about the transfer of the bacteria with, with people, from my understanding, I'm just trying to like put it in like layman's terms, maybe. Like I think that it 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 works when you're if you're spending time with people that are consistently like stressed out or they're making poor decisions, that's gonna impact your microbiome based on what we've already talked about. In that if you're stressed, it's going to negatively impact your gut. So if you're hanging around people that are stressed and making decisions that could cause you stress, then it's going to change your your microbiome in that way. So I think that totally makes sense. We're still, like, what you said is a really good point, okay? What I should clarify is we still don't actually know exactly what's happening, this situation. Is it that you're around other people, so you start thinking the same way, eating the same way, or is it that you're actually sharing some bacteria off your skin because you're touching them inadvertently, you know what I mean? It's still unclear exactly how this transfer happens, but we know people who live in close proximity even if they're not married, will have similar microbiomes. Yeah. I mean, I think there is a lot, like you said, we don't know. But what we do know, as far as I can understand, is that taking care of your gut health is incredibly important for all types of your health. And I don't want to end the conversation without talking about fasting, right? Because obviously, your handle on Instagram is fastingmd. And we've talked in depth about fasting on here. I, I've had my own experience with it. I personally think it's a great tool. I don't think it's for everybody. I think it can obviously serve its purpose in some ways. But what I want to talk about specifically is fasting for women. Because one of the biggest misunderstandings, I believe, is that women can fast the same as men. And I think it's totally different. So from your perspective, like how do you educate your female clients, if they want to use intermittent fasting as a tool, like what are some things that they must do that maybe are different than you might see for somebody who's a guy who's fasting? Doug, so most of the listeners or uh, people who watch or listen to your show are probably, if you're a woman, you're probably having a hormonal cycle, what we call it, infradian rhythm. So there's a circadian rhythm, which is 24 hours, and then there's an infradian rhythm, which is 28 days. That's from the ages of between 12 and 13 to, you know, 50. And what we realized is that every phase of the cycle is a different hormonal cortisol insulin balance. 
Therefore, I created this simple thing and it was like the most read blog post ever. And it's something that we should all learn in school for, for women. If you're a woman, if you're training women, if you're with women, it's about how to eat and train and fast according to your cycle. Not to say everybody needs to be the same, but taking that knowledge to adjust things based on where you are at. So for example, when you are in the late luteal phase, which a lot of people know as PMS, that week prior to menstruation, that's called the late luteal phase. That's when your hormones are dropping fast because they notice you didn't get pregnant. It's going to shed the lining of your uterus. All the estrogen progesterone plummets. That's when you're going to notice a lowered mood because progesterone supports serotonin. And so you're going to want to crave like carbohydrates and simple sugars to kind of boost that serotonin. People will often notice that their mood is low. That's why you hear all these memes and jokes about people crying during PMS because it's an actual phenomenon. And when you're in that low estrogen, low progesterone state, that is not a good time to fast because your cortisol levels are skyrocketing during that time. So most people will say they feel really stressed. They feel like they can't sleep, right? So that's not a good time to be asking women to add another hormetic stressor into their life, like, you know, a fasting or an exercise that's very stressful to them. So um, a new hit workout or a new marathon training day or whatever it is. So I asked them, I just said basically, hey, it doesn't mean you have to be like person B, but it doesn't mean that, hey, for that late luteal phase, you may want to adjust things for your clients, for yourself. Um, and maybe for the women that are in high power fields, maybe that's not uh, the week that you make the big decision because even your complex problem solving skills are blunted. Maybe that's not the time you want to make emotional decisions because your emotions are not wired to kind of handle stress like they are at other times. So that's how I think of fast and it has to be adjusted to the woman. Now, when a woman is menstruating, Around days two or three, they will notice that their energy levels are coming back, their hormone levels are rising. Estrogen, as it rises in the first week or two, is a great time to fast and to train. So eat like an athlete, train like an athlete is how I think of it. And it's a great time to build that muscle, try different high-intensity workouts if you're working with a trainer. So knowing your body and training and eating and fasting in accordance True cycle is something that I think all like trainers should know, all women should know, all people that are working with women should know. And I'm, I'm glad we're talking about this because I get I've gotten a lot of questions over the years about this subject, and I think you know maybe a lot of people that we know they they're they're kind of in tune with what f intermittent fasting is, but maybe for people who are listening who when they hear the word fast they might think does this mean I have to go with like 20 hours without eating or 24 hours and and really I think what you talk about is maybe just going like 12 to 14 hours, which isn't all that abnormal. I mean, if you go to if you have your last meal at seven, that means you're having your first meal around you know seven the next day or nine the next day. So like, what's the ideal time, like fast time, if, if somebody wants to choose to implement this into their routine for a female and, and talk about how it depends upon their, the time of the cycle too? Yeah, if you are just starting out, then even doing a 12 hour fast, as you mentioned, seven to seven, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. can do wonders 
for your insulin levels, for your digestion, for your mood, for your sleep quality. We are eating up to 15, 16 hours a day. Uh, they looked at data. That last glass of wine, that last chocolate, uh, popcorn on the TV happens. And then there's like barely an eight hour break before most people have their first meal of the day. So you really want to stretch that out a little bit to 12 hours. That would be the basic step. And I think everyone, really everyone, and anyone should be able to do this. And then from there, it's up to you. So if you are someone who wants to see some of the benefits of intermittent fasting, you can do what I do, which is you start your fasting 7 p.m. I'm just picking a time like three hours before bed, right? So typically for me, it would be like 7 p.m. or even earlier. And then in the morning, instead of eating right at 7, I go for a nature walk or fasted workout before I have my first meal of the day to stretch it out to 14, 15, depending on the time of year, day, month, then I can eat my meal. And I don't, you really don't want to be pushing. I don't push people to do long fasts unless they want to. It's like everyone can benefit from getting 10,000 steps, right? But not everyone needs to run a marathon, nor should everyone run a marathon. And so everyone's going to get benefit from doing 12 to 15 hours of fasting. But if you decide to do 24 to three days of fasting to seven days, that's up to you. But it's not like necessary or even, you know, mandatory or recommended for a lot of people. Yeah, and it can be unhealthy, I think, for some people. And I think, I think what's happened, though, is like, there's been a lot of noise and they, oh, there's almost become like fasting zealots that have these strict rules on what you have to do to say you're fasting. And people, again, it's like fear mongering again in the nutrition space where people are now afraid to even try it. They're like, oh, does this mean I can't have like coffee? Or I can't have this. And like, that's like beside that's besides the point. And I think in reality, that really doesn't make as much of a difference as somebody might think. But I think the important thing is, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, if somebody's fasting, they still have to make sure that they're eating enough calories too. And the, to be mindful of that, because what I've seen happen is some people will fast and then the day gets away from them and they've maybe eaten two thirds or half of their the normal caloric intake and they find themselves lethargic, nauseous, lack of energy and that sort of thing. Now, or the opposite where they took people who are obese in a study and they gave them only a few hours to eat. And guess what? They ate all the calories plus more in the small amount. So it's not just, you know, Americans, you give them any kind of restriction and they'll find their way around it, right? So if you tell people they can only eat for four hours and they'll eat everything plus more in the four hours. It's not as easy as just saying fasting is going to improve your health. You still have to do the other work that comes along with it. And speaking of work, you're raising kids, you're a mom, that's something that you're passionate about. And you've talked about on this show, and I've just seen some of the stuff you've talked about, the importance of mindset, right? And how it impacts our gut and how it impacts our health. So it can be, I'm sure, challenging to raise kids in today's world, in, in a world of filled with technology, social media, comparison, like all the things, like how are you empowering your kids now? Like what kind of things are you teaching them so that they can have hopefully a strong mindset so that they, when they grow up, they can have the mindset that optimizes their health and it doesn't bring their health down? That's a great question. We live in a very complicated time with access to devices and um, social media, which is you know, designed to hack 
our dopamine rewards and stuff, right? So it's a difficult place to be. So I tell people exactly, I posted this something today that I tell my kids all the time. You will get a dopamine drip when you get a notification or a like or a heart or a comment or a text message, right? But that dopamine drip is not really necessarily bringing you closer to your goals. But there are dopamine drips that do bring you closer to your goals, like completing a workout, finishing a project, getting a you know note from somebody you work with that you did a great job or a patient or whatever. And so I try to tell them that, hey, there's foods that create that drip, you know, and just understand that it's normal to enjoy it and it's normal to want it, but it's also normal to put boundaries on it and know that, you know, since the beginning of time, Doug, there have been things that give you dopamine drips that are just for pleasure alone. And that's okay. It's not supposed to be a, you know, data-driven like life that you're just going to do without any enjoyment at all. But also understand that there has to be boundaries to that. Like you wouldn't let anyone drink alcohol morning, noon, and night, even if they loved it, you put boundaries on it, right? You don't want someone to be gambling morning, noon, and night. You don't want someone to be eating chocolate cake morning, noon, and night, but it's okay to have it in small amounts, right? It's actually good. It's pleasurable. It decreases stress. It's helpful, but you've got to show them that there is good things and there's bad things. Sometimes when you're going for a goal, you have to set up goals that give you that dopamine drip that are on the path to that goal, rather than distracting yourself with dopamine drips that are distracting you from that goal. And that's something I think about. I also talk to them a lot about gratitude because I think, you know, when I was growing up, I had a very different upbringing than my kids. And I've seen what poverty really looks like. I've seen what people in third world countries live like. And I think that for them, they need to remember every day that there's something to be grateful because it rewires our brain to actually see the good and to see goodness in the world. Because otherwise, you know, you could be the richest, fame, most famous, most beautiful person in the world, but you'll be miserable. And so I have to, I'm always trying to kind of reframe that for them and say like, Hey, no matter where you're at in life, just be thankful for, you know, little things. Gratitude and understanding their relationship with dopamine. I love it. You got to read. Have you read the book, The Molecule of More? Yes, I've read that. I just actually, I read it. I was on my Audible and I read the first few chapters a long time ago. And then I just finished the first, uh, last few chapters recently. Do you ever do that? I don't know if you do this, but when I go on my walk, sometimes I listen to books, but I only listen to like part of it before I start another one. And so then I go back. Yeah, that was a game changer for me. I had him on the podcast. Um, it's a great book. Anybody who wants to learn about like what dopamine is, it's called The Molecule of More. Daniel Z. Lieberman. I can link that if I want, or if I can link that in the show notes. My new book that's coming out um, in January is going to be all about that gut-brain connection. And there's a lot of talk about dopamine in there. Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to to checking it out. Well, Amy. This has been great. I'm glad we did this. I think this conversation is going to help a lot of people and people are going to want to connect with you. They're going to want to find out where they can buy your books or follow you along on social media. Like where's the best place for people to do that? You know, I'm pretty active on FastingMD. That's Instagram, AmyShotMD on Twitter, AmyShotMD on Facebook and LinkedIn. And my website is AmyMDWellness.com. 
Amy Shaw, it's been a pleasure. I will make sure to link that stuff in the show notes. And for those listening, what I invite you to do is to share a takeaway. Maybe it was something that Amy said about why sleep is so important. Maybe it was something she said about the gut-brain connection. Maybe it was something she just said about like how she's raising her kids and empowering them. Whatever it was, tag Amy and tag myself because we'd love to hear your feedback. And we once again thank you for listening to this episode of The Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and we'll see you next time.